Hi everyone, this is Deb from Dying to be Found. Before we get started today, I just wanted to mention that episodes contain disturbing discussions on harmful acts and crimes against animals and or humankind. Recordings are not intended for young or sensitive audiences due to the content nature of this podcast. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Boo, how are you today? <laughs> I'm good. How are you, Deb? I'm doing well. It's always so good to see you, and I'm I'm just so excited to see you so much more on a weekly basis. It's been I'm going to say we have never in our whole lives been able to talk as much as we have in the last month. No, this has been great. I've been telling my friends how nice it is to reconnect. Oh, yeah, I feel the same way. So. Um, hey, do you have any vacation plans coming up? I know the weather's getting nice, so I know uh, I'm going on spring break in a, another week or so, but I wondered if you had any plans. Yes, I'm going to fly a little north and visit some family. I'm going to see my daughter and son-in-law and my two lovely granddaughters. Oh, are you flying north to get in that, you know, one week of the year where it's it's not cold? <laughs> are you crazy? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we have warm weather. It'll probably still be cool because it's in June. The evenings, I suspect, will be uh, sweater weather. Oh, yeah. Well, that's nice, though. Do you guys do bonfires? Uh, no. I used to no. do bonfires a long time ago. I enjoyed that. Just, you know, yeah. uh, you know, adults around the bonfire just talking about life, I guess. There isn't a lot of room in the backyard for that. Trampoline takes up a lot of room. And then I have a slope. It's like a probably a 45 degree slope in my yard. So I'd probably be the one to roll down that hill. But the fence would stop me from going into the neighbor's yard. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you going to do on holiday? I am going to Florida, I think for spring break. It's going to be nice. Maybe by the time we actually get this on air, I will probably have already come and gone, but I have not been to Florida in a couple of years. So we're going to head that way. John's got some friends that he wanted to go see. And I suppose I'm a tag along, but I love the beach. I don't like getting in the water because there's creepy things out there, but I do love listening to the ocean and just watching the waves. It's so relaxing. So do I hope read the weather. Do I read? Um, I haven't read anything that any fiction. I have not read fiction probably in about four years. But yeah, I've got some actually on my reading list. So I'm looking forward to Good. relaxing and yeah, reading and getting the getting the sand in my hair, I guess. <laughs> That'll be nice. Yeah. Goodness. While talking about holidays, I guess this is a good little segue to get into the story that we're going to tell today. So are you ready to talk about it? I sure am. Okay. We're going to talk about Natalie Holloway. Natalie was born in Memphis, Tennessee on October 21st, 1986. When Natalie was six, her parents divorced and her mom remarried. The family soon moved to Mountain Brook, Alabama. Natalie was considered to be an all-around American girl who fit quite nicely into her new environment. She was pleasant to be around. She went by the nickname Hootie 
And by her teenage years, Natalie was part of Dorian's dance team, which I believe it was like a recreational, but a competitive dance team. So she fit really, really nicely in with her high school crowd, just the average American girl. And at the time, I will say this, that Natalie did end up disappearing a little bit later after her graduation. But at the time of her disappearance, Natalie had one younger brother named Matt. Just for the purpose of this story, we're just going to kind of focus on Natalie, who did go missing on her trip when she was taking a senior trip on vacation right after high school. Did you take any vacations when you graduated high school? Because that's kind of a big thing around here. No. Okay. Yeah. Because I took a trip to Florida when I was graduating high school, you know, we didn't necessarily have chaperones. It was just about, we were 18. Well, I wasn't quite 18, but a lot of the people that I was with, they were already 18. And it just seemed like during that era of when I graduated high school, we didn't worry about things that we worry about today. Exactly. Especially if you're with a group of people where, you know, if you have six or eight or even 10 people that you take a trip with, then Mm -hmm. you shouldn't really have to worry because you're covering each other's back. And I can only imagine that, you know, you partner up and, and at least kind of just watch out for each other. All right. So moving on in May of 2005, Natalie, along with over 124 of her fellow classmates from her graduating class at Mountain Brook High School, went on to it on a graduation trip to Aruba. I'm not going to say I've ever been on a trip with 124 people. I believe too that she had some chaperones with her. Parents did go along. I just mentioned that parents did not go along. Yeah, she went with a pretty big group just to celebrate graduation and they ended up taking a trip to Aruba. And when she returned, yeah, you would think that it would be, especially if you had chaperones and that many people, right? Because your rooms are going to be full. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But when Natalie returned back to Alabama, she had planned to attend the University of Alabama to pursue a full scholarship in medicine, according to NBC News when they were reporting this. So she had a good future ahead of her. Yes. Now, Natalie's parents received a call after Natalie had gone to say that she had not made it to the plane to return to Alabama on May 30th of 2005. Everybody was supposed to kind of meet in the lobby, take the shuttle over to the airport. Well, Natalie never showed up. She was scheduled to meet in the lobby to make her way to the airport and on that morning. And again, she just never appeared. There was no sight to be found with her. So Natalie's parents did not waste any time and boarded a plane to Aruba on the same day. If she was in Ala, if she lived in Alabama, that's like the lower United States. So it's really not too far to the island. So really the trip itself would probably be maybe two hours. Yeah. It's really not a long way or a long time period. So they jumped on the plane, got to Aruba the same day. And then Natalie's mom, her name was Beth Holloway Twitty, stated that when her husband, Jug, got there, she expected the island to be like Fort Lauderdale, which is a po- one of the popular beaches and tourist attractions in Florida. I mean, every single beach is pretty much a tourist attraction in the state of Florida. But have you ever been to an ocean area, Beth? I know Lake Huron is your ocean. I know that you get to the freshwater and, and, and things like that. But have you ever taken a trip where you go to the beach and kind of hang out at the oh, beach? Yes. When I lived out east. Okay. So you know what it's like to go to a touristy area. Yes. 
And that's what Beth Twitty thought when she was headed over to Aruba, because it's really geographically close setting. Aruba is is a tropical island just off the coast of Florida. So it's, you know, it's like a hop, skip and a jump to get there, probably like from Nova Scotia to Prince Edward Island, right? right. So the area she thought would just be any other touristy attraction, just like in Florida. And the island itself in Aruba is about five miles long and 25 to 30 miles wide. And this was not the case, though, for Miss Twitty, because she thought, okay, well, this is a small island. But once she got there, okay, my child is missing. And all of a sudden, how big did this island become to her? I can't imagine. There was one time when my son was little and we went on a camping trip and we had a couple campsites set up where we could see each other's tents. We, you know, we went with a family member and we had my son take something from my campsite over to the other campsite and literally no joke. He went missing. All you did was you turned your back. That was it. He was gone. Yeah, that big camping area became very big to me because what happened was Corey ended up following one of the guys that was working in the park and he was blowing leaves Mm -hmm. and Corey had this tricycle. So he was like, oh, I'm just going to go down there. Well, guess what? My son has a need for speed. And so he came upon a hill. So he was on his trike and he decided he was going to take a little joyride down the hill. And it was about 15 or 20 minutes that he was missing in my eyes. And so in that little space, I mean, it was, it was terrifying to me. So my point being with Beth Twitty going to this island that she thought was just a little beach resort, all of a sudden, just to see, even though it's 25 miles wide and five miles long, it was, it might as well have been the entire United States, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where her head was at. Sarah went missing for maybe 45 minutes and it was in a park where there was splash pads. And I said to Sarah, just go to the other side of these buildings and you will find a splash pad. I'll I'll catch up with you. Well, what I didn't know was it was fixed up and made five times the size. So when I went around the building, I saw what looked like to be 200 people lined up on five massive water slides. And Sarah would have been about six or seven. And she actually stood in line and I was panicking. We got some walkie talkies going from down below where I was and upstairs to the top of the slide and nobody could find her. And it was panic city. Oh my gosh, I will never forget that. So I learned a lesson. Don't just say, go over there and I'll catch up with you. Now that's interesting because that's what I did. I was like, Hey, Corey, can you take this over to the other campsite? I think it was just a cup. He put it on the, on the, on the handlebars of his trike. And that was Mm. the last time we saw him for 15, 20 minutes. It's, oh gosh, like your heart just comes out of your chest. Well, yes, it's very scary. Absolutely. Then again, to a small extent, I know what it's like to lose your child very briefly. And yeah, that's probably the longest, longest time of my life. So Beth went back to the hotel where Natalie had stayed and talked with the night manager to try to get some information and what she found out on who Natalie might have been with last. And it didn't take her long to find out 
that the last person to see Natalie alive was a young man named Joran Van Sloot. Now, remember, the casino was attached to, to the hotel, so they had these cameras everywhere. But the video footage showed Joran was playing a game at the table and Natalie was probably three people over just kind of watching the whole thing. She wasn't engaged in the game itself. She was just observing, but you could see that they were together. I mean, the videos that I saw for the footage did not look like they were interacting whatsoever. So at some point in time, they did start talking. Now, I wanted to give you just a little brief history on Joran Van Sloot. He was originally born. Well, what do you say originally born? He was was born in 1987 and originally raised in the Netherlands. And then he moved to Aruba in 1990 when he was about three years old. So as many people would at this age, Joran considered himself to be a native of the island. In his early adult years, Joran began spending a lot of time at the casino that was attached to the hotel where Natalie was seen last. Do you do any gambling, Beth? Have you ever gone to a casino? Hello? Can you hear me? Yeah, there was uh, a lag. I couldn't oh. hear you. were frozen. Okay. I was wondering if you were frozen because I was hoping that you would drop off so I could play the Beth Got Drop music. <laughs> <laughs> Dropped. <laughs> Sounds like a song. <laughs> I know you listened to that episode. I was like, oh man, we got our thing here. I'm, I'm actually sitting here hoping you're going to get dropped. Then again, it's more editing for me, so maybe not. <laughs> All right. So have you ever gone gambling in no. a casino? Well, I've been into a casino, but didn't okay. gamble. Yeah, they're, they can be pretty busy, I guess, depending on the you know time of day, mm-hmm. uh, time of year. Vandersloot lived in a nearby town of Nord, which was relatively close to the touristy area where Natalie Holloway was staying at her hotel. Now, I watched, uh, I think it was like seven parts. It was a 2020 special and it was called Manhunter. And so they had seven segments of this, which truly, I got a lot of my information from here. And the Manhunter series said that Beth and her tour guides and the police immediately went over to Vandersloat's home to question Joran, but Joran's parents met them at the door. I feel like I heard somewhere that Joran's dad was a lawyer. So of course he's going to immediately oh, lawyer up, right? Mm-hmm. Now, Joran did take the time to talk to the police and readily admitted that he had been with Natalie. He proceeded to describe some sexual activities that he engaged in with Natalie while Beth was standing right there. Now, would you do that in front of a parent who's looking for their missing child? Come on now. Yeah, so inappropriate. Very. Now, Beth's tour guides kind of got their feathers ruffled because they immediately started interrogating him and they were pretty shocked with his behavior and his blatant confession. Sure, I was with her. What are you going to do about it, right? Yeah. And after a little bit of a heated discussion, Joran offered to show everyone where he dropped Natalie off near the Holiday Inn. While Joran was talking to the police, Natalie's mom noticed a gray van that Natalie was last seen on camera footage getting into where, and this van was parked in their driveway. So basically the van is sitting right there. Beth's looking straight at it. And Joran had two of his friends over, Deepak Kelpo and Satish Kelpo. So two brothers that Joran liked to hang out with. They sound like rappers. Don't they though? Yeah. They just happen to be standing out in the driveway with the police who were interviewing Joran's father. Kelpo, his brother, and Joran were all seen leaving with Natalie the night she disappeared on that footage. So the three of them were together. 
Other contradicting stories indicated that Vandersloat admitted that he had left the bar with Natalie and the Kelpo brothers to drive to a lighthouse before arriving at the Holiday Inn. So conflicting stories are pretty much saying, yeah, I just dropped her off at the hotel. No, we went to look at a lighthouse first. So already he can't get his story straight. Mm. And along the way, Yorin proceeded to disclose little tidbits of information about the last time that he saw Natalie such as when he dropped her off near some security guards by the Holiday Inn. They had no recollection of any security guards seeing Natalie being dropped off that night. The footage that I saw on this Manhunter show mm-hmm. was basically saying that she was dropped at the, at the steps of the, of the hotel, and that was it. Now, on day two of the hunt for Natalie Holloway, Her mother, Beth, attempted to file a missing persons report with the local police in Aruba. Much like the U.S., she was told that it was just too soon. Don't worry. Natalie is just off doing her thing. She's 18. She's an adult. She'll show up, right? Mm -hmm. However, Beth and local residents immediately started a search party. And even the local government was uh, letting everyone take off work to join in on the search. I think that's pretty good. I guess part of it probably is they didn't want the negative publicity, right? Yes, exactly. Interestingly, a group of Alabama supporters also showed up, not only to join in the search, but they began harassing Yorin Vandersmoot. You know, they got the word out. There's enough evidence, I'm sure, that Beth relayed as far as the footage that she found on the camera. She's a little bulldog, isn't she? She's like she a little, really is. she's her own little sleuth. The local government televised that they did not want this group from Alabama to come in and do their cowboy thing and said that they, the local government, would be in charge of this investigation. Police continued on day four to pull footage from surrounding surveillance tapes. Everything that Yorin said happened, like when he dropped Natalie off, actually did not happen. So they took his story and they probably went on the path of where he said he was going to be. And none of the camera footage showed what he said happened. By day four, Beth had the news media covering every bit of this story. I remember personally, 2005, I don't even remember what I was doing in 2005, but I do remember this being heavy in the news at that time. So by day 10, the three suspects, Joran Vandersmoot and the two brothers, the Kelpo brothers, were all arrested based on the evidence that was presented in this case so far. Beth stated that these three guys had 10 days to lawyer up and corroborate stories to cover each other's butts and clean up any evidence that they still had laying around. I disagree. I think that these kids lawyered up the moment daddy found out. I do too. Something was going on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they could have all been in cahoots. Oh, yes. I think we've talked about this before. I mean, you know, we don't know what it's like to be in that situation if our children were put into this position, but parents can be protective, right? Yes, very. And then if he is already like in that line of work as as far as being a lawyer, you know darn well he was giving some advice pretty quickly. Now, this is somewhere around that 10-day period, Yorin and the Kelbo brother stories changed from dropping Natalie off with the security guards to dropping her off at the beach. Okay. Why would local residents drop a single female tourist 
off at the beach all by herself. That makes no sense. It doesn't. And I don't believe something like that would happen, especially knowing their own area and what crime rates are and somebody from another country coming into a foreign country. That just does not make sense at all. Yeah, you would think if they drove her away, you would think they would definitely bring her back to safety in her hotel because they knew that where she was at. Exactly. In the meantime, Beth did not give up and showed up at Joran's house with prayer cards because what was happening is Joran's dad did start protecting his son pretty avidly and he would not let the news media come talk to them. He was telling everybody to go away. Well, Beth abided, I suppose, by any local laws or local rules. She didn't harass him. She just came up. I don't know if you would consider, I I suppose you can't consider the roadway to be his personal property. So if she comes up to the driveway and just starts handing out prayer cards, I mean, is that harassment? Not if she's not on his property. Yeah. But she did begin getting some kickback from the local community because at that point, now this is only day 10. I mean, she was on the news. She was out searching. She had her search party. She had her Alabama search party and she just had everybody standing behind her. But the local community was getting a little tired of it and basically told her she was beginning to overstay her welcome. It didn't slow her down though, because from sunup to sundown, Beth got on every news station that was available to her. And this story did in fact become a news sensation. Like I said, I have, I remember it just every day there was something on the news about Natalie's disappearance. So yes. Oh, did you, did you get that on your news too? Mm -hmm. Wow. So it was international. Yes. Now the Alabama group got a little bit in trouble for accusing the young guys. It would be Vandersloat and his two friends of being criminals. So they did get in a little bit of trouble for causing slander, but in the whole scheme of things, they literally said on video, we don't care. We are going to harass these people until they give us the information that we're looking for, because it is too fishy. These circumstances are are not believable and you're going to give us the information whether you want to or not. Soon after, two of the three suspects were released. Both of the Kelpo brothers were set free, but Vandersloat continued to be held for another 69 days, although there was no real reason being given by the judge as to why Yorn was still being held. Now, the reason that two brothers were released is because the local police said there was not really a whole lot that they could go on. They needed to clarify and investigate. And simply, they didn't have enough to hold the suspects. As I said earlier, the local residents began to turn on Beth and everyone that was searching for Natalie. And basically, the locals thought that authorities were doing everything that they could to locate Natalie and Beth and her party were disrupting their daily lifestyle. By August of 2005, Hurricane Katrina came to the United States and it hit the New Orleans area, pretty much took over the entire news networks at this point. Natalie had been missing since May 30th. And just a few months later, something bigger, something better came along. Natalie is still in the news, but the news networks shifted everything. Now, the hurricane itself really did some damage some and devastation in the New Orleans area. So I can see how that maybe pushed everything else to the back burner. And so Natalie's disappearance, that story was certainly put on that back burner. And eventually other news stories of other high 
high profile cases of missing women also came into play. And so Natalie's story just moved on and went away. And Beth Twitty was left to deal with this just on her own. Now, I don't want you to think that a Rubin government was not doing their job because they certainly were. They were trying to get as much information that they could from the suspects, whatever they do in their investigations. They were certainly doing what they needed to do. And much of this case seemed to be caught up in bureaucratic red tape. And the local government had, in fact, conducted a thorough investigation of the case. So they were doing their job according to whatever standards they go by. I mean, every country is different. On July 26th of 2005, the authorities even drained a pond across from the Marriott Hotel based on a tip. So they were trying very hard to look at all avenues to see nothing left unturned, right? Yes. And then on September 3rd, 2005, although the Kelpo brothers were rearrested, all three suspects, including Vandersmoke, were released on the condition that they remain accessible to police throughout the investigation of Natalie Holloway's disappearance. On February 16th of 2006, both Jorn Vandersloot and his father were both served with civil lawsuits in New York City, which was filed with the Supreme Court and accused Jorn of malicious, wanton, and willful disregard of the rights, safety, and well-being of Natalie Holloway. Beth Twitty, you go. You be that bulldog mother and you do what you've got to do to get this guy to confess. Yeah, go Beth. Now, these allegations also included Joran's father because they accused him of enabling his son's predatory behavior. It wasn't very specific on what they were saying. There wasn't a ton in the news as far as how much he protected his son, but they just brought a case against him for enabling predatory behavior on Yorn's behalf. The suit, unfortunately, was later dismissed with a local judge who determined that local taxpayers would only have a short-term interest in this case. And that's why he dismissed it. Again, you know, you have Hurricane Katrina and a couple other big stories that come out. And so he's making his judgment based on the fact that, okay, well, that was yesterday's news. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Well, on December 14th, 2006, Beth and her ex-husband, Dave Holloway, filed a wrongful death lawsuit in the Los Angeles Supreme Court against the Kelpo brothers. This case was eventually dismissed on June 1st of 2007 due to the lack of jurisdiction. So I kind of wondered that too. I don't know, because it's international, I was kind of wondering why Beth Twitty would be able to file a lawsuit in New York City and then take it all the way to the Supreme Court in Los Angeles. I I don't know the international laws, but I'm sure that's probably got something to do with it. She was able to file something as far as international laws. All right. So there is a pretty well-known journalist by the name of Greta Van Sesteren. Well, she interviewed Yorin between March 1st and March 3rd of 2006. And then again on November 24th, 2008. So a couple of years went by. I did see the second interview and actually went out to find the first interview. The first interview was not very informative whatsoever. Yorin's getting on the news, but he's really talking in circles like he had been this whole time. But the second
second interview. I think I'll be getting in, into that in just a minute. But Greta really was saying, come on now, if you want us to even look up this case, you have got to tell us the truth because my company is going to want travel expense reports. And, you know, we're a reputable company, so we need to make sure that we are reporting the news the right way, mm-hmm. right? And he mm-hmm. was still walking in circles, talking in circles. So during the earlier interview back in March of 2006, Joran gave a timeline of his evening in the casinos and then with meeting up with Natalie. He spent a lot of time talking during this interview about his gambling and his interactions with Natalie on the dance floor, then how he left with Natalie as the bar was closing down. But it was not during this interview, but later when Joran stated that he left Natalie alone on the beach. So he's talking about dancing at the club, made no mention in 2006 that he left Natalie alone, but in the 2008 interview he did. So still, he can't get his story straight. During the interviews in November of 2008, Greta brought up a microchip that allegedly held a taped telephone conversation between Joran and his dad talking about Natalie's disappearance. So this is where I was saying that Greta was like, come on now, Yoren, you've got to understand. I mean, we need some legitimate information if you want us to continue on authenticity of the tape conversation was believed to be pretty questionable. We've had some experts review it and they're saying that it's not in the up and up. Yoren at the time stated that he was approached by a guy that he had played blackjack with at the casinos who said that he wanted a blonde girl. Without saying sex trafficking, he was implying During this 2008 interview, he was approached by somebody in that casino that night who was looking specifically for a blonde girl. And if you have not seen the picture of Natalie Holloway, she is the most delightful, beautiful, blonde-haired girl from Alabama. And so it sounds to me like Yorin all of a sudden thinks, okay, I've got the perfect one for you. He also stated that he was offered $10,000 to bring this guy a blonde girl. Well, he never mentioned the guy's name. And so as the interview went on, Yorn was very hesitant to provide any more details. But Greta, being the investigative reporter that she is, continuously called his bluff. I love it because I did watch every single one of these interviews and she was not letting him off easy. And she did get Yorn to open up a little bit about taking Natalie to this mystery guy. But if she's, if he's changing his story again to taking a blonde girl to a guy who's looking specifically for a female and he's implying sex trafficking, why did he not have charges brought up against him for that? Very true. The whole thing just doesn't make sense, does it? Mm-mm. I don't I don't understand why he was not arrested or at least questioned for that, right? I mean, especially if he's got all these videos on tape and he's being interviewed on the record. I I did not see anything that he was he was pulled in for questioning about that. As the interview went on, Yorn brought his father and some police officers into the ordeal and said that all sorts of money exchanges occurred. And the interview ended with Yorn saying that every bit of the interview with Greta was a lie. He sat there with Greta for a couple hours interviewing with her. And when it was all said and done, guess what? He stands up and says, yeah, every bit of this was a lie. He took it all back. 
knowing Greta, she didn't handle that well. She's a pit bull. <laughs> yeah. And then basically nothing that comes out of his mouth is the truth anyway. I mean, he has been leading the public on a wild goose chase, right? This entire time since Natalie disappeared. Also in 2008, a reporter secretly recorded Vandersloat saying that Natalie collapsed on the beach and simply couldn't be revived. So his buddies took her out to a boat and dumped Natalie in the ocean. But here we go again. Once Yorin discovered that he was being recorded, he said he made the whole story up. Mm. And in 2010, Yorin's attorney contacted Natalie's mother, Beth, and said that he would disclose the location of where he dumped Natalie if she would pay him $25,000. That's ridiculous. Is that not a confession right there? Yeah. And I I think it just goes to show you his mentality level. That's insane. And then again, where are the authorities in all this? He's being interviewed on national news on the record. And he's basically at this point in time, blackmailing Beth to give him $25,000 so that he can show her where he dumped the body. Where's the authorities? Where's the Aruban authorities in all this? They just don't want to look after the case. No, I guess not at this point in time. And again, publicity, right? Nobody wants negative publicity in a in a highly sought after vacation spot, right? Right. Well, eventually in May of 2010, Yorin slipped away to Peru. And as time went on, authorities from Aruba and the United States, specifically the FBI, stated that they simply did not have enough evidence to convict Yorn in Natalie's disappearance. And these lags in time eventually allowed Yorn to slip away to Peru, like I just mentioned. And he quickly became the subject of an international manhunt. I'm going to go into a completely different story now because this person also deserves to have her story told. Yorin really did not stop with Natalie because exactly five years to the day, that Natalie Holloway disappeared on May 30th of 2005. Yorin was brought in and interrogated on the suspicion of the murder of a young lady named Stephanie Flores. Mm. Stephanie is the daughter of a former race car driver and Peruvian presidential candidate who went missing exactly five years to the day that Natalie went missing. And tips started pouring in to say that Stephanie had been seen sounds familiar, at a local casino where Yorin later confessed of picking her up at that casino in Lima, Peru. And videos of Stephanie sitting with a young man, just like Natalie was, was she was also found leaving the casino where these videotapes were released to the media. So it's very similar situation. You've got these young ladies uh, leaving with the same man. And in both cases, the person identified in these videotapes was Joran Vandersloot. Mm-hmm. So on June 2nd of 2010, Stephanie was found deceased in her hotel room. Joran Vandersloot was recorded on video renting the room when Stephanie was found. He was basically picking up the keys. I mean, again, this is all on one of those one of those shows I was watching, but he was seen with the keys and then she was seen following him to go up to the room and she was later discovered dead laying in a fetal position. Oh, sad. I know. Okay. So I can assume if she were in that position, was she trying to protect herself? Yes. 
Evidence from the crime scene suggested that Stephanie tried desperately to defend herself. Investigators initially felt that Stephanie was stabbed to death due to the amount of blood that was found at the scene. However, the autopsy showed that she was beaten to death with a tennis racket. So I guess that would be why she was in the fetal position. Now, Joran's DNA was found at the scene with his fingerprints, cigarette butts, and drink cups inside that room. And he was also seen leaving the hotel room. And he returned later with a a coffee cup in his hands, actually a couple coffee cups. Now he's pretty brilliant because, you know, he's always one step ahead of everybody, right? Right. When he left the hotel room and returned with the coffee cups in his hands, he had one for him and one for Stephanie. Well, he feigned that he got locked out of his room. So one of the hotel employees came to help him and let him in. And what Yorin was hoping for was that the employee would open the door and walk in to discover the scene. So that's why he left. He was uh, trying to make an alibi for himself. Oh, I just ran and get coffee. And this is what's happened since I left for coffee. And now I'm back. Timeline wouldn't fit. Yeah, that's true. I mean, in the whole scheme of things, if you're doing all the forensics on that, the timeline, I'm sure would catch up with him too, right? Mm -hmm. Now, it didn't go as planned for him, though, because what happened, and you can see it in the video, was that the employee simply just unlocked the door and then pushed it open just to crack and let Yorin in. So Yorin was the one to walk in. So he went in and did not come out saying, oh, no, something has happened to my guest here. He was in there for 15 minutes and 15 minutes later, he was found leaving the hotel room again. He had a backpack on his back. He's looking around and nobody's in the hallway and out he goes. Now on September 27th of 2011, Yorn's confession of Stephanie Flores's murder was televised on CNN. He had admitted that the two of them had met in a casino and he invited Stephanie up to his hotel room. However, when Yorin was probably in the bathroom outside of the, you know, outside of the room, Stephanie got on Yorin's laptop and started looking up Natalie Holloway's disappearance. She may have recognized him from that case or even Mm -hmm. the name If he even said what his name was, then she got suspicious. And so she started looking him up on his computer while he was in the other room. And then basically he said that's where he lost control from that point forward. And that's when he took the tennis racket to her. Oh, for goodness sakes. Yorin was eventually sent to trial. And once he was captured, he did confess to the murder of Stephanie Flores and what led up to her attack. Yorin stated that when they got into a heated discussion where Stephanie grabbed his computer inside the hotel room, she did begin looking up his name on the internet. And Yorin felt that his privacy was being intruded upon. So he grabbed Stephanie and just started hitting her. Authorities were able to successfully document pretty much everything that led up to Yorin's capture, including physical evidence and DNA. Yorin was convicted of Stephanie's murder and is currently serving a 28-year sentence in Peru for her death. He openly admitted that the reason he killed her was because she allegedly uncovered information on Vanderslope and his connections with the disappearance of Natalie Holloway. Always the upstanding citizen, Yorn was accused of drug smuggling inside the Peruvian prison system and prosecutors demanded another 18 years and four months time to be added to his sentence. And take a guess, Beth, on how he smuggled drugs into the system. You know, we, we know that a lot of that's going around, right? 
Take a guess. Think about it though. You got people coming in, visitors, any other ways that people can smuggle? Swallowing it. Yeah, that too. Nope. He smuggled drugs in with red beets. Red beets. It probably came through, I don't know. Have you ever seen Orange is the New Black? Yes. And you had some of the, some of the inmates are assigned to working in the kitchen. Yes. So they are the ones that are signing for deliveries. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming that's probably how he did it. I don't know though. Red beets, they're hard. How do you get them in with red beets? Well, his whole story doesn't make sense. So of course he'd use red beets. Yeah, that's so true. Goodness. All right. I, you know, I really hate reporting these things, but always a happy ending because we all deserve love. You know what I'm about to say, don't you? Yep. Joran got married while he was in prison in 2014. He gets... <laughs> His new wife, it's spelled L E I D I, but you pronunciate it lady. So, Lady Figaro met Yorin while visiting another inmate and ended up marrying him. So that's nice. They locked eyes across the visitation room and that's all she wrote. Lady and Yorn eventually had an unsupervised visit where she became pregnant with Yorin's child and now they have a daughter together. Isn't that nice? That's crazy. Yeah. So again, are they paying people off to turn their back to visitation? I'm not sure how that works. It's another country. You suspect what? That they were being paid off by guards. Yeah, probably so. But then again, that's another country and they have different rules than us. So now he is, Yorin is scheduled to be released in 2038, where he will be 51 years old. So that's where he sits today, bringing in drugs in red beets and having unsupervised visits. All right. I just wanted to touch back on Natalie Holloway's mother, Beth, because... It's a bittersweet ending for her. Now, she has actually come a long way. She went on to have a show about missing, and it might be on the ID channel. I'm not sure where it's at. I've seen it maybe once or twice, but she's still an advocate for her daughter as well. I'm sure I would be as well. So in 2019, Beth Twitty did revisit the island of Aruba and openly admitted that she no longer felt tethered to the island. So... That's at least a plus. I mean, time does heal wounds, but she doesn't feel like it's just, you know, it, it's holding on to her as much as it did in the past. On December 18th of 2007, Aruban authorities had closed the Natalie Holloway case without charging anyone with a crime. And Natalie was declared legally dead on January 12th of 2012. Her case remains unsolved. Well, just as an interest about Beth Holloway, she's been an American speech pathologist and motivational speaker. She became widely known in this case when her daughter disappeared in Aruba in 2005. I would imagine being a motivational speaker, she has a lot of firsthand knowledge. Oh, yeah. And uh, she is very well spoken to. I have seen, you know, over the last week or so, I've really tried to look up as much as I could. And she is so well versed. She is just a strong woman. And I, I don't know how she's been able to survive this, but she is definitely, I mean, she is a motivating person to me too, because she, she, she wouldn't take no for an answer. So even though she doesn't have closure on this, I just hope that she will one day. And I hope that Yorin, I don't know if he ever would at this point, he's still pretty young and you never know that he might have a life-changing moment 
where he will finally tell her the truth. Yeah, that would be nice. Well, that is our story on Natalie Holloway. What else do you want to talk about? Anything? Yes, I do. When we talked about putting the podcast together, we discovered that you and I have some different interests. So I'm going to take us back to the 1800s. Ooh. But you can end with your teachable moment. Teachable moment. I might have to find some music for the teachable moment segment. It's the teachable moment segment of Dying to be Found. You all, if you have a child whose birthday falls on or around the Christmas holiday, be sure to wrap a present with birthday paper under the tree and put it with the rest of them. So, all right. Well, with that being said, we are done with this episode. And that's a wrap. I love it. Thanks for joining us. And we hope to talk with you next week. In the meantime, please visit us at dyingtobefound.com, just like you see on our logo. And that will take you to all of our social medias. We hope that you will follow us and listen to our podcasts and rate us, share it and tell your friends. Until next week, we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.